Welcome to this special edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You know, like we, I told you to begin with, you know, of course, Let's Be Blunt is a, is a podcast that was going to discuss everything and anything cannabis, but I also want to deal with the issues that are facing us all every day. And this is going to be one of those occasions where we're going to kind of shift to the right a little bit and talk about issues that are facing us all today. And I'm so happy to have with us someone I want to introduce you all to. He's a guy who I rely on very, very much. Who happens to be one of my strategists and a colleague of mine who works with me directly uh, because of his abilities as a publicist. Matter of fact, John Franks is the president of Lucid Strategies and has been working with me now for I think what nine years, John? Uh, eight nine years, yeah. It's been eight nine years. And I want seems to- like just yesterday. Absolutely. So welcome, John Franks, to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for being here, my friend. Hey, great to be here. Absolutely. Look, you know, I want to start this off by reading something that, you know, you sent me earlier today, and I thought it would be, be kind of a cool thing to read to all those at home, those who may not, you know, pay attention and, and um, keep up with the word of the day. But I think everybody knows what happened over the weekend with John Conway, right? Kellyanne Conway's husband. You think I uh, George Conway, yes. Sorry, George Conway. George Conway, yeah. Kellyanne Conway's husband. And, uh, you know, um, he wrote a scathing piece and uh, participated in a scathing video that went out, I guess, Saturday night. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, the president went nuts over what Conway had to say. Uh, just And, and uh, you know, again, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, that nothing good happens on Twitter after midnight. And, you know, um, it's just bizarre for a president, especially, you know, at, at 2.30 in the morning, Europe is waking up. So, you know, his, that, that particular tweet might have had a larger foreign audience at first than American. And it's just weird and, 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 and quite frankly, should be embarrassing. Right. But I guess it doesn't embarrass him because he feels like he's getting his point across to his supporters. And Conway then put out this, I guess, let's come out today. What I'm about to read. Tonight. Well, what uh, Kellyanne said. No, what uh, George Conway put out uh, this thing for Trump supporters. Let me make one thing very clear. Yes. That came out today? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I want to read this so people understand. Let's chat about it a little bit. But it said, this is from George Conway. For Republican supporters, let me make one thing very clear. For the record, no one is blaming president, the president for the virus. Let me repeat. Coronavirus is not Trump's fault. Here's a detailed list of what we are blaming him for. One, Trump declined to use the World Health Organization's tests like other nations back in January, over a month before the first COVID-19 case. The Chinese reported a new mysterious virus, and within a week, Berlin virologists had produced the first diagnostic test. By the end of February, the WHO had shipped out tests to 60 countries. Oh, but not our government. We declined the test even as a temporary bridge until the CDC could create its own test. The question is why? We don't know. But what to look for is which pharmaceutical company eventually manufactures the test and who owns stock. Keep to The next point. In 2018, Trump fired Homeland Security Advisor Tom Basson, whose job was to coordinate a response to global pandemics. He was not replaced. In 2018, Luciana Borea, Borea, the NSC Director for Medical and Biodefense Preparedness, left the job. Trump did not replace Dr. Borea. In 2019, the NSC Senior Director for Global Health Security and Biodefense, Tim Zimmer, left the position, and Trump did not replace the rear admiral. Trump shut down the entire global health Security and Biodefense Agency, yes, he did. Amid the explosive worldwide outbreak of the virus, Trump produced a 19% cut of the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, plus a 10% cut to the Public Health Services, and a 70, or sorry, and a 7% cut to Global Health Services. Those happen to be the organizations that respond to public health threats. In 2018, at Trump's direction, the CDC stopped funding epidemic prevention activities in 39 of 49 countries, including China. Trump didn't appoint a doctor to oversee the U.S. response to the pandemic. He appointed Mike Pence. 
Trump has on multiple occasions sowed doubt about the severity of the virus, even using the word hoax at events and rallies. He even did it at an event where the virus was being spread. Trump has put out zero useful information concerning the health risks of the virus. Trump pretended the virus had been contained. Trump left a cruise ship at sea for days, denying them proper hospital care rather than increase the numbers in America. Repeat, we do not blame Trump for the virus. We blame him for gutting the nation's preparations to deal with it. And we blame him for bungling testing and allowing it to spread unabated, uninhibited. We blame him for wasting taxpayer dollars, money, on applause lines at his rallies, like the wall. We blame him for putting his own political life over American human life and hope this clears things up. Wow. What do you think of that, John Price? I, I think that's the view of a lot of frustrated and too often silent Republicans. I, I, and particularly sort of um, sort of Northeastern Republicans, uh, of, of which I would consider New Jersey a part, right? So um, I don't know that anything that George Conway writes is going to convince any of these Trump supporters I'm not sure that they would even see it um, organically, I think. um, But it's not really about them, right? It is about the independent folks, the common sense, more conservative, mindly folks, you know, who are winnable and maybe did vote for him and not realizing quite what they were, what they had done. And maybe it's a little hard to admit it publicly, right? But now that they're served up another option that isn't Hillary Clinton, right? it, you know, George's messaging in the Lincoln Project, of which he's a part, that rent the ad that led the president to go bananas over the weekend, aren't an effort to reach Trump supporters. They're an effort to reach Republicans. And I think those are two very different things. Well, then let's talk about the, you know, the, the meat of this. You know, I don't know if this is a tweet or a, a, a letter that he wrote. But, I mean, I don't quite understand why this president seems to be taking it as a personal affront, the virus. I mean, he's acting as if the virus was created to damn his presidency, but viruses happen. So, so what's going on here? Uh, honestly, I think there's a simple explanation. He's a pathological narcissist, and we, we know that about him. We, you know, that's been readily ascertainable since the 80s. And um, he can't stomach criticism of any kind. Um, of his ideas, of his misconceptions that he gets locked on to. Um, and, you know, we see him then, um, his, remember, his presidency started with a narcissistic wound inflicted by Obama and whatever that was, 2011 at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. That's when this whole process started, right? And then suddenly Donald's running for president and he's just trying to... Um, he now, his, his sort of, his goal is winning, not governing, not leading, not anything. It's not, his goal is to not lose. And that's sort of, you know, he, he, he knows and his pollsters have told him, right, that, you know, his single best um, plank to run on in this campaign is his maintenance of the economy. I don't know that that's really that accurate, but it, 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 it has worked, Um and now all of a sudden the virus comes, we have to shut down the economy and we have depression-like numbers, right? The stock market's falling. All his rich people friends from Mar-a-Lago are calling, you know, in a panic. And I don't think they know what to do. Um, so now, You said the stock market is falling. The stock market has gone up the last three days. It has. And, and lovely to see it back at 25, but I think it was at 28 or 29. And, you know, it, it got into 18, 19 territory. And one of the things I think is true about President Trump is he's, he's way too reactive. He's unable to, he's not able to put time between, you know, impulse and it being expressed publicly, right? So in trying to sort of manipulate the market into thinking this wasn't as bad as we thought it was, he simply, um, you know, pretended the virus didn't exist, minimized it, you know. And part of the other piece is he's way too trusting because he doesn't know what he doesn't know and some of these other countries have put, deployed their intelligence services into profiling him and how to talk to him and play to his sort of neuroses in order to get stuff done. And 
that, you know, the president of China was telling me got it under control. You know, President Xi has it under control. And, you know, Trump's desperate to make a trade deal, right? So we dithered through January in denial, right? We dithered through February in semi-denial, you know, where the actual experts were doing work, but the president was still telling his people it was a flu and asking executives whether or not a flu shot would cure it. And we don't start work by his own admission until mid-March. And now here we are in May, um, we're not running enough tests, right? We are not, we don't have the contract tracers. States are opening up before, even the Trumpy states, right? You know, opening up before they've, you know, gone through the gating criteria of Trump's own plan to open the country, which really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And what I'm worried about is, as you know, like, you know, several years ago, I moved to a rural red county in northeastern Indiana. And, you know, I'm not worried about Indianapolis. I'm not worried about you know, major metropolitan areas with lots of hospital beds and lots of resources. I am worried about middle America here, right? Our case in this county have doubled in a couple of days because of an outbreak at a meatpacking plant. Yeah, and, but at the same time, when you say you're worried about that, I mean, and, and, and just so people at home know, you know, John and I, we work together. We are compadres on a lot of things. As a matter of fact, we got a really special announcement to make today about Michael White, which we should make definitely make today. But and we work together on a lot of stuff. We've been working with honest time from the hip. But we often argue back and forth. And, and unless I shouldn't say argue, we debate things back and forth. Mm-hmm. John helps me formulate some of the ideas that I have and helps me, you know, refine some of the ways and talking points that I have on different issues. And we do so by, I don't play devil's advocate, but I like to interject other opinions into a conversation so that we, he and I can argue if mm-hmm. we need to argue. But I'm going to argue this one with you, John. I mean, you say, okay, if, if you're afraid of what's happening in the, you know, the, 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 the rural settings, you know, out in the hinterland, but, you know, the rest of America doesn't care. There are people debating right now whether or not, you know, there is an acceptable loss in this. I mean, some people are saying, okay, so what? You know, we have 330 million people live in this country. 2% of them die. Who gives a shit? Well, and again, I think there has to be a conversation about acceptable loss, right? Like, because there's always, there was always going to be some people that died from this, right? My question is, did it have to be, you know, whatever we're at now, 70,000? And I don't know, right? We see countries like South Korea, right? And, you know, another industrialized, highly sophisticated country, right? Um, First class medical care, and their outcome is so much better, uh, you know, and, you know, here, um, I think the point of differentiation here is Americans, especially this generation who's largely got the microphone right now, are not used to really, you know, these folks were born in the 70s. I mean, I, I realize they, they were born sort of at the, at the outset of Vietnam. I realize that their parents know a lot about, you know, suffering and sacrifice. I'm not sure they do. And, you know, so now, all of a sudden, you see these folks who were the same folks coming running about Blue Lives Matter and such in the Michigan State Capitol with a gentleman, you know, inches from a Michigan State trooper who did not have an N95 mask on, right, um, screaming in his face. So I'm just thinking, you know, people have gotten sick at these rallies, and now they're effectively, you know, assaulting state troopers with respiratory droplets in the midst of a pandemic And it occurred to me, you know, there's a major differentiator. You cannot, in America, we cannot get Americans reliably to wear masks, right? Costco requires masks and facial coverings. Out here, this is a very controversial thing. You know, I know it's ordered in Miami-Dade, but it's not ordered here. Explain this to me, though. Why is it controversial in your Costco for a person to wear masks. I don't get it. No, I don't know. Um, let me make this point. Nobody complains about the fact that, you know, they are hearing all this stuff about it's an infringement on my constitutional rights, you know, my personal space and all this kind of crap, where who's complained recently about a person or uh, complained recently about not being able to sit down in any restaurant of their choice and smoke a cigarette in the middle of the room? Uh, no. it, it, Honestly, I was struck by the, 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 some of the complaints that people had in Michigan, right? And one of the gentlemen who was just, he almost looked like he was going to cry. He was so angry about not being able to purchase grass seed. And I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, um, 
out here in rural America, I mean, people know how to purchase. We have stores like, you know, hardware stores were not closed, right? So there were, you know, the fact that you couldn't necessarily go browsing through the non-food section at Walmart doesn't, you know, didn't really render you unable to get grass seed. And, you know, a lot of these folks have been upset about hair salons and beauty parlors. As you see, my hair is not looking so great, right? You know, and I'm anxious to go to a barber shop and get my hair cut. I'm just not willing to accept casualties in order to have a nice haircut. Um, and I think people are pushing back, right? If this is something that they can't control, that's hit them from left field, that's causing fear and anxiety, and they're pushing back to try and control anything they can, right? And I think that there's an input in conservative media and, and a pattern of elevating people that aren't experts about things like epidemiology. I mean, I, I think I told you, you know, Alex Berenson, who, who has a degree in classical literature or something like this from Cornell, right, but no other expertise or training in science or math, after sort of leaving the New York Times, he wrote a book about how pot's killing kids. And when that really didn't go very, when that kind of ran out of gas, he reinvented himself as a statistician and epidemiologist who said that, you know, Tony Fauci's predictions for the country were not right. And this is a guy, this is a journalist. He's a very talented writer. He's written some fantastic spy novels but he's not an epidemiologist and you watch the sort of misinformation spread. And I think people can relate to folks that are getting bad input streams, either on the left or the right, right. And saying ridiculous things on social media that are just sort of, you wonder how an intelligent person could post something like that sometimes. And, you know, unless you know the person posting it and know that their behavior in real life is completely different, right. You have to, you know, it's, it's very disconcerting. And, you know, um, we do have built-in social distance here, but, you know, people live for, you know, far from each other. It's easy to social distance. I don't get what the uproar is, right? Like, there, you know, a lot of folks around here, these are not folks with sort of, you know, office jobs, generally speaking, that were sort of furloughed and sent home to work from home, right? These are farmers and you know, first responders and, you know, essential workers at factories, right? These are real people working to keep America open, right? And, you know, I think we could all go a long way. I mean, my real question is, are we mature enough as a country to solve this COVID crisis? It, testing, contact tracing, and these masks, and I hate them too. I, you know, people can see, right? Like, I look absolutely ridiculous in one of these masks. Um, you know, I mean, I look ridiculous. But if it keeps me healthy and alive, I'm 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 all for it. And you know, but but I guess but to those people, I mean, you heard the other day that that a security guard at a store tried to to convince a guy to put on a mask. The guy left the store, came back and shot him in the back. And I I just I don't get that. I watched a lady outside of a hardware store, and I'm I don't know her from Adam. I'm sure she's a perfectly lovely person just having a fit about being weird, you know, asked to wear a mask to walk into the store. And I'm kind of looking at these people who have been on the front lines in these stores, right? These are mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, right? And we're really going to flip out about wearing a, a, a paper product over our face. Um, you know, for the 15 minutes, we're buying our stuff at the hardware store. It just, it seems to me to be quintessentially American to complain about wearing a mask. This is the epitome of a first world problem, right? Really all that's being asked for us is, is to be responsible, wear face coverings in public, and not gather in large groups. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. But now you've got this whole, I mean, well, let, I want to take the, the George Conway mm-hmm. you know, uh, email and take it apart for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do you think about it? He said Trump declined to use the World Health Organization's test like other nations back in January. 
when we could have been using something to at least verify the testing in January, they refused. And then he goes on to basically allude to that if you follow the, the dollars, you know, stay tuned, find out what companies, U.S. companies, were given the contracts and see who owns the stock. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't know. I, I've always thought that that ascribes a level of sophistication to Trump and his inner circle that they simply don't have. Um, I think that it was bungled and mismanaged, right? There was apparently some sort of thing with the WHO test. It might show some false results sometimes. I, but what I don't understand is how the CDC was operating a subpar lab. It's supposed to be our nation's critical defense lab, right? And part of the reason their test didn't work when they decided to develop was they had the contaminated lab. And that I don't get, right? There is no, you know, um, I think Trump likes to see the U.S. government sometimes like he did his closely held real estate development and branding company, right? Like, you know, where he really can have like five or 10 people, right, that come flocking into his office and he holds court making decisions all day and the thing made money, right? And now, you know, when it, the, the federal government doesn't work like that and sort of he turns, one of the telling points for me was in March when he was deciding to make the, whether to declare a national emergency, somebody actually told a reporter on background that the count, the task force would take no action on making a recommendation to the president until Jared Kushner finished his research. And we later find out that research is being conducted on Facebook via the, the, the father of the model that is married to his brother. Yeah, I, and I, you just don't, I don't understand. And now we have whistleblower complaints, right? And I do think George is hinting at that where, you know, procurement people were, were tasked with buying stuff that, from, that were high priority leads from people like Charlie Kirk at Turning Point, Judge Janine um, uh, from Fox News, and a number of other smattering of Foxos, right? And, you know, um, I, I almost think it's more sort of crony capitalism than it is organized corrupt. Like, it's literally sort of, oh, I got this thing from this guy that says nice things about me on Fox. Let me do what he asks, right? You know, it, it's almost like a fealty payment, right? I don't think he intend, he goes into these things necessarily knowing or realizing that they're corrupt. I just think he has no idea what he's doing. He has terrible instincts. He does, nobody around him tells him the truth because he blows up and fires people. And, you know, um, we're now down to the D list that's working for him in the White House. Right. And we're leaving this whole thing up to Jared Kushner. And Trump has found this virus to be hard. Right. And, you, you know, he can't go out and have his rallies, which he really needs his ego food. And, you know, he can't campaign the way he wants. You know, people are pressing him to be accurate with numbers, which he's not used to. He's got to answer questions from big, bad reporters. And as you notice, like one of the things that is reported today, Jonathan Swan and Axios said today that, you know, he's got a senior White House official saying that the, they expect the president to pivot to questioning the veracity of the death count in the coming days. Right. How Literally, can, how can he question the accuracy of the death count when the death count is a cumulative number that has been reported every single day? They keep track of it every single day. If if he if he questions the veracity of it, it'd be questioning the fact that it might be too low. Well, and you know, well, I mean, from that again, and I think most of his tweets and excited utterances like that are provoked by Fox or even worse, One America News, whatever that is, and. You know, um, there is a goofy conspiracy theory that part of the reason this looks so bad and people shouldn't take it so seriously and that it was overplayed is that Medicare stepped up reimbursement to hospitals over on COVID deaths by 20%, right? That change was made to compensate for the, you know, so the hospitals could stay solvent with no elective surgeries, right? There's no conspiracy there, right? Like in my state, which is, by the way, run by Mike Pence's handpicked successor, they have a separate metric where they have COVID deaths that they suspect are COVID, right? But they don't have a test on, right? So nobody's lying to us about the numbers, right? The issue is he's trying to drive a blue-red split, right? This thing got bad. It got bad in New York. It got bad in New Jersey. It got bad in Miami-Dade County. Um, you had a cluster, some clusters in Chicago. You know, his people don't care about that, right? His people live in towns like mine, 
where nothing looks like it's wrong, right? Nobody's alarmed. A lot, you don't see a lot of people wearing masks, right? You know, um, there are people that live miles out in the country. We have Amish in this area, um, you know, um, and then, you know, it's easy for them to say, okay, this isn't happening in my area, right? It's not happening in, in the smallish mid-sized city half hour away, right? And it's happening in the city, and this is a city problem, right? And then you get into places like Cass County, Indiana, that have a huge outbreak because of meatpacking plants, right? And they don't have the beds to respond to them. So New York was prepared, right? Where, there's no Javits Center to put hospital beds in here. There's no big National Guard armory. Like, we have a coliseum down in the next city, right? So... What he's doing is letting these folks believe what they want to believe, which is that this is only bad in the cities. The risk is only in the cities. And we're okay up here. It's kind of skipped us over out here in real America. And it's just, it's nonsense. And you got to remember, I wish I, I had my today's paper with me, right? So I could show you, right? People work for a living in Trump areas, right? I'm not saying they don't in liberal areas, but they're more idle people in, in New York and L.A., that have time to do this, right? These folks are at work on farms. They're at work on all, you know, and maybe they read the local paper, right? Maybe they watch the local news, right? But they're not, they don't have time. They've got three kids to raise. They don't have time to read four newspapers. So they don't know what to believe. And then they look on Facebook and see their friend Mo or sister, you know, Jane shared something. They share it over and over again and bad information just gets perpetuated. And good people are afraid to, sort of correct their friends, right? Because it's hostile. And in this part of the country, we, you know, folks, to their credit, don't like to talk about this kind of stuff, right? They like it to be a private thing. They like to talk about life and family and things and not necessarily your latest grievance with Trump tweets, right? I but think but those, are the people, but those are the people who are going to go back to the polls and say that everything was said negative about him. Like yes. fact, we talked about earlier, you know, she, she touched it so bad. Well, that was because it was a 90, probably has something to do with the fact that they put a 90% cut to the budget to the CDC. Yes. Before this even happened. And I, I don't mean to sound like a, you know, uh, glib here, but governance is hard. Campaigning is easy and governing is hard, right? He's super good at giving what, what he wanted to do, right? Is his vision of the presidency is him clipping ribbons, making connections, you know, glomming in and out, being on camera, and then having Pence and everybody else do the work. And that works unless you're in a crisis. And, you know, one of the interesting things about him is he usually does what's best for Trump. And when he was having all these goofy briefings, coronavirus has not helped his numbers. And like George said, it's not because folks blame him for the virus. It's because folks blame him for the crazy. There isn't anybody alive who thinks drinking Clorox bleach, well, there are people, unfortunately, that's the problem, right? You know, folks noticed in, in Trump areas when he said, you know, injection disinfectant, I think they kind of saw it as a goofy thing that realizing that the reality is somebody would tell him this is a terrible idea, right? And how could people not know, right? So it's, it's like sort of a joke. And, you know, I hear a lot of you, you should give him more credit, you should stop knocking him down. And my point being, you know, okay, so let him act like president for a couple of minutes. And, you know, I'm more than willing to give him a fair shot. But, you know, at some point, right, we've been locked down 45 something days. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that they're not going to be huge outbreaks places that set us back. No but, even if there are, but even if there are huge outbreaks, you have, when you say huge outbreaks, but percentage wise, huge outbreaks. Those outbreaks are not going to affect his hardline supporters. Not necessarily, a, unless it gets bad and breaks out in enough rural communities, right? We have 50-something cases in this county, right? I, you know, we have another 30, 40 in the county below us. I couldn't tell you a single person in either county that got it, right? I know lots of people in New York that got it. I know lots of people in Indy that got it. I know lots of people in California that got it, right? I even know some people from smaller cities in Indiana, but nobody around, it's not touching, it's not that it's not touching Trump supporters' lives, it is. They have, you know, friends and relatives that, that work at these meatpacking plants. I think, you know, denial, like I said, denial is a powerful drug. Um, and 
folks want to believe this is going to work out. They want to believe we can, they don't understand how we can get by without reopening the economy. Folks are seeing food lines, right? And that's another part I think was left out of George's piece because he doesn't agree with it. But I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of Americans that are on 45 days of or more of living on 1200 bucks if they even got it yet. Right. And yeah. I don't know, like, how do you feed a family with like, okay, say they had two kids. How do you feed a family with seven thousand twenty-two hundred dollars for 45 days and pay your bills, pay your mortgage, pay your rent, pay your car insurance, pay your gas. I, I don't get it. And, you know, Congress gave a lot of money to companies and that's lovely. It's just that they, you know, it would have been nice to see them actually help people out a little bit more so that folks could have afforded to stay home. And with the best of intentions, right, with this enhanced unemployment, they've now made it so a lot of people learning that were working low-income jobs are better off on unemployment. Well, what's crazy about this, though, John, is like right now, though, if you go out and have a conversation with any one of your neighbors, especially where you live, and use breath and one word in a negative about Donald Trump, you'll be assaulted and assailed for being one of those liberals who, who just don't understand. Not necessarily, right? So certainly there are hardcore ones, right, that, 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 you know, that just will argue and, you know, these are the Confederate flag, don't tread on me set, you know. Um, rational Republicans often are defensive about him, right? But you can have a conversation and say to them, this tweet doesn't, he, this is silly what he's doing. He's shooting himself in the foot. All he needs to do is to succeed is be quiet, right? And stop going on camera. Stop saying things to the press. Well, right? I'm, would, I'm living in Florida, man. And, you know, the governor down here is a 100% Trump supporter. He's nuts. And, you know, again, he's a Yale-trained lawyer, so he doesn't have a lot of, ex you know, excuse. And, you know, it, it's sort of, it, but again. Those, but there's so many of them out there, John. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm sorry. When you say that, He's nuts, but there are so many. How many Republican governors, other than the governor of Maryland, has stepped up to say anything contrary to what Trump is doing? None Ohio, Massachusetts. Um, there have been a couple more that have like expressed um, displeasure, right? But you know, it's only a couple of them, and. You know, you then see governors, Republican governors like Tate Reeves in Mississippi jumping the gun, opening the state, realizing he had the biggest day, you know, the, the biggest single day of, you know, cases in, in, since it started and realizing, oh, my gosh, I jumped the gun here and I've got to pull back. I give him credit for that. Um, there are places where there's just not a lot of thing. I mean, for instance, here's a place that really frustrates me. We beat up on middle America where a lot of Trump voters live. What drives me absolutely crazy is these people in Huntington Beach in California, right? These are rich people, right? You ever tried to rent an apartment in Huntington Beach? I mean, the, people can't afford to live there. I mean, these are wealthy folks. They have a first world problem. They can't, they're being told they can't walk on the beach. They can walk on the streets. They can walk in the alley to get personal exercise. For like a week and a half, they needed to stay off the beach, and instead they had a riot. And, you know, there's no excuse for that. I mean, you know, the police, the lifeguards, you know, um, resources went into dispelling that protest, right? Like, you're just not, I, I didn't hear people complaining that they couldn't feed their families. I didn't hear people complaining that, you know, they were, that, you know, hadn't eaten in days and they were desperate, right? I heard people with personal problems, like, I'd like to go on the beach, right? And nobody's wearing masks. I mean, I just think that's inexcusable. You're living in a high traffic area. California is a state that's done good. You're weeks away from winning the war and you concede and go out in the middle of the street and, you know, riot. I don't get it. But that, but that's also part of the problem. Like right now we're getting ready to go into, we are in election year and mm -hmm. people are going to be voting. So you've got people who are going to be happy with the fact that this president is saying, let's get back to business to see if we can save the economy. They're going to go out and vote for them. I think so. And again, we've got to see his election right now in a lot of ways turns on what happens with this virus, right? Like if we still don't have testing ramped up, if we still don't have, you know, basic contract contact tracing where we can slow this thing down, right? There is a point at which Americans will go, oh my God, right? 
too many people have died. So that was my concern today. There's a professional lying industry, right, at the moment, sort of geared towards keeping, the, you know, the president from having to hear or think anything that he doesn't like. And unfortunately, opening the country on May 1st or whatever he, you know, he said, or letting his order expire has caused the model to say more people are going to die. That's a predictable consequence, right? So I think what they're going to try and do is, you know, all of a sudden they're just going to dodge number, every story they possibly can on death counts and hope that a lot of their people don't read the news, don't pay attention to the news, only watch Fox where they won't report the death totals. And people will ignore it going into the election. But I think it's a strange gamble because when you start talking about 200, 250, you know, 300,000 Americans dying, um, people are going to notice. As far as I know, that's larger than what we lost in, I mean, gosh, it's lost more than we've lost in the last multiple wars. And, you know. <laughs> we, already just, we just surpassed what we lost in Vietnam. Right. Like, I mean, it just, we're, um, there are too many people dying to be able to hide them. And, you know, even today, I mean. <laughs> but, but again, we'll go back to that first question I asked you. But do people care? At a hundred, people care when it's their sister, when it's their grandma, when it's their. I think it's a very selfish voting group, right? Who feels left and left alone, um, feels like they've been sort of talked down to by smarty pants on the coast, and that part is legitimate. Um, and this is their, you know, whenever he does something stupid, right? They say they, their response is always buddy fights, right? So. Yeah, we have a clown braving a parade. That's that. That to me isn't a reason to stick with somebody. Um, but I think you've got now got a party, right? And again, it's been conditioned through Fox now through One America, which is even worse. Um, and a lot of these goofy conservative influencers, and you know, um, um, you want to make money as a conservative influencer, um, you know, tell Trump things he wants to hear and get retweets and. You know, they compete for it. So these people then sort of pump bad information into the ecosystem. And a lot of the good and decent Republicans never have a chance because there's information warfare being conducted against them. But that seems to be what that side, I mean, I, I've said this to you many times. You know, we got one third of this country that no matter what he does, will elect him. You got one third of this country that can't stand him. Mm -hmm. You got another third of this country who right now doesn't even know what they want to do for, for dinner tonight. Right. That's the problem. Also, young people who don't vote, right? I, I see all of these young people that were super fired up about Bernie Sanders, right? Good for them. I think that was nuts, but good for them for being fired up and participating. But the risk here, again, the reason Trump won the first time is a lot of those Bernie supporters, remember, it was 80,000 votes in the Rust Belt. There are more than 80,000 people that didn't vote in Wayne County, Michigan, where Detroit is, right? You know, um, Young people need to vote, right? You need to come out. Yes, I realize voter ID laws are racist. I get it. Life's tough. Get a driver's license, right? You know, make it a point. If you have to take an hour off of work, it's worth it, right? We can have the America we want if everybody shows up to vote. So if, again, we have the, you know, these younger people on the far left that sort of want this Medicare for all thing that I don't understand how we're going to pay for any other thing, right? They've got to come to the table, right? Or what they're endorsing is four more years of Trump. Same is true with sort of libertarians of which I consider George Conway and some of these other, you know, sort of more conservative, real conservative Republicans, right? I love Justin Amish. He's great. Um, he says a lot of smart things, including give, give direct aid to the people right now, right? But What's the point of him running for president again? To make a point? Um, folks have a maturity decision to make here, right? Trump <coughs> or not Trump, right? And quite frankly, it should be an easy choice. And if anybody is going to treat white working class Americans, you know, in a dignified and non-smarty pants way, it's going to be Joe Biden. And he's always had that vote. He's always been able to communicate with those workers. And it is true that we lost people in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, in the manufacturing heart of this country who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. I don't get that. Yeah, right? I will never understand them. He's Teflon Don. And, you know, I mean, I don't think uh, Joe's going to be Teflon Joe. I mean, and just remember, you know, like, 
part, every bad thing in our politics is tied to abortion. Trump is a creation of abortion, even more so than racism, right? There's certainly a racist base that is, and they're all for Trump, right? Then you have these good and decent Republicans who cast a vote they knew was wrong because of abortion. And that doesn't make any sense to me because not a single one of these people, right, has done any planning whatsoever for a post Roe versus Wade world, right? They don't know what it would look like. They don't know. They haven't thought through the implications, right? And single issue voting is going to kill us, right? You know, Hillary is going to perform abortions in the White House. Hillary is going to take our guns. Joe Biden's going to take our guns. Joe Biden is going to be for late term abortion. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And people have sort of, there's a dumbing down of American politics, right? People are listening to, you know, they're finding confirmation biases in sources that say they're, you know, exactly what they want to hear. And it's true on the liberal side too. And social media has ruined this country. Well, but we have to deal with it over the next five months. Six yeah. Months, if there's going to be an election in November, what do you think about that? So there's this goofy worst case scenario, right? In theory, the constitution says that the state legislators, legislatures, excuse me, choose the electors for president. That power has been delegated by every state legislature in the country to the voters for some period of time, in a long period of time, right? And so there's this theoretical possibility, right? It is theoretically possible for state legislatures to take a vote, I imagine by supermajority, that would cancel the election and have the electors appointed by, by the state legislator. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a weird sort of doomsday scenario. Unfortunately, I think it's much too complicated for Trump to figure out. Um, but I think there will be some states, I think there'll be an advent of mail-in ballots, right? More people will vote by mail. We need no excuse absentee ballots. And, you know, um, North Carolina, I'm sorry, not North Carolina, um, Ohio's done it, Maryland's done it. And, you know, Trump in this hardcore base know full well that in high turnout elections, they will lose no matter what. There is not a majority in this country for this nonsense, right? There's, you know, there are in some places, but he said it himself that mail-in voting is very unfair to Republicans because of fraud. So now I guess we have illegal immigrants voting by mail fraudulently, although there's zero examples of that actually taking place. And one of the, I mean, he literally said it in one of his press conferences to the cringe of most Republicans is like, they know it's a dirty little secret that the more people is that if there was higher turnout in this country, their party would cease to exist. And, you know, so they're, they're willing to do just about anything to keep turnout down. And, you know, um, I think there should be vote by mail. There are going to be lots of seniors, right? There are going to be lots of folks that would ordinarily vote. They're going to be scared to vote and don't meet the absence criteria for absentee ballot because they're not going to be outside of the state. And rather than just signing the, you know, the, the, the attest, which, I mean, theoretically, you're not supposed to do, um, you know, they play on a state and then don't vote. And if, you know, people don't vote, man, um, who knows what happens, right? I mean, the same thing with the census. I mean, I saw the other day in our local newspaper, only 60% of our county had returned the census. Everybody's been home for 45 days. What the heck have they been doing? I mean, it's not that hard. And, you know, so if we can get Americans out to vote, if we can get young people out to vote, right? And these are populations that aren't voting for their lives, like black Americans and black women especially have for, year, for several years now in the advent of Trump, putting people like Doug Jones in in Alabama. We need, you know, to be really overly blunt about it. We need spoiled white kids from 18 to 30 to get off their butts, do something adult, put on their big boy pants and go vote, right? And for some reason, this younger generation is incapable of doing things that require advanced planning like this. And then there's these temper tantrums when people like Bernie don't win a primary, right? He had grassroots support. I mean, they told us about all this energy for his revolution. Where was it on election day, right? I don't know if they were smoking pot in college campuses or, you know, I don't know what they were up to, but they weren't voting. And if they felt so passionately, why didn't they vote? So to me, it's just the message is we have to vote. We have to vote. We have to vote. And we have to hopefully one day we would solve a lot of this country's problems if we just had a national holiday on Election Day so that folks could go 
and vote. The more Americans that show up throughout time, the better um, the result is for the country. John, I'm going to tell you, man, we don't have a lot of time. So what do you think we're going to have to do to convince young people to do their civic duty and get out of your vote? Not Honestly, just I think you have a lot of college students now who are pretty motivated that, you know, um, have had their lives upended, right? Young adults who've now had their lives upended, right? And I think that's really what it would take to crack through. And, you know, ultimately, I think how well Trump does in November is entirely dependent on how well this getting the economy back open works and whether there's an additional surge or, of course, whether he does anything else insane between now and Election Day. Well, you were saying, you know, earlier about the fact that the census has been out, but only 60 percent of the people in your community have returned the census. So and quite frankly, to- we're an underserved community. We're an underserved rural community who could use more resources. And obviously the census is, I mean, they put it, I've been impressed with their communications. I mean, they send repeated postcards. It's been a deluge of mail, right? Um, and, you know, it makes very clearly that this, filling this out is critical to how resources are allocated. We have public schools up here that are dying from a bad funding if formula. That's, if that's any indication, if we get a 60% turnout for a vote, may as well just lock in another four years from Donald Trump and then who knows what's going to happen. Well, I think, no, I think at 60%, he'd be unlikely to win. The problem was, like, I mean, we were in the low 50s last time, if that. And, you know, if we could get to 60 or 70%, I would be tap dancing, right? You know, um, you know if, if, if that much, you know, that kind of turnout, the Senate turns, everything turns, right? And I think Trump is looking at a, 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 a re-election while losing the Senate is going to be no fun for him, Right. Like his primary selling point is gone. Can't run judges through anymore. Democrats will control. Get, you know, can't get anything passed without negotiating with Pelosi, who he won't even speak to. And you know, he, he's going to have a very hard time in um, you know sort of dealing with the political establishment. And you know, I think he'll find that Republicans stop tolerating him, especially elected Republicans, the minute he's not accomplishing things like judges and you know, a nice stock market. Um, Wait, but on that note, donors happy. on that note, a conversation thing like judges, you know, Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in the hospital. And yeah, I see that, that motion. But what happens if she has to step down? Does the Senate do what it did for Obama and say, we're not going to pick another justice until the new president is elected? Or do they go to like, <laughs> there will suddenly be Mitch McConnell will find newfound urgency to confirm a Supreme Court nominee. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe this time they'll bother to vet the Supreme. See, part of the problem that they have with judges is they're letting the Federalist Society pick the judges, right? And they keep sending judges up for nomination, although not yet to the Supremes, that have never tried a case. And you cannot. I don't understand how you could possibly be effective as a judge in a courtroom if you've never tried a case in court. Well, let's just hope that uh, Ruth recovers from this quickly. Amen. I mean, like literally, I've I've seen some things posted recently that I agree. I mean, sort of like, can we have, uh, you know, can we have Justice Ginsburg walk around in, you know, one of those plastic bubbles so that nothing can happen to her? Well, hopefully, you know, Nothing will happen to her, and we're not forced to walk around in big plastic bubbles for the next five or ten years. I hope not. I mean, but honestly, you know, I quite frankly, one of my biggest frustrations with this is I haven't been on an airplane since we came home from New York, what, in late February, and I'm, I'm losing my mind. I want to travel. I want to go places. Like, um, I want to take your wife up on her kind invitation to come visit y'all. And, you know, until they get this under control, I'm kind of stuck here. I know. Well, you know, that's another thing. I mean, you're listening to all of the information that's coming out about the airlines. The airlines are going to be a completely different animal. And that might be nice. I mean, can you imagine no middle seats? I mean, coaches suddenly becomes tolerable again. Yeah, but that's not necessarily true. I was just told even American that claims that they're not going to be filling middle seats. If a flight cancels before another flight, they will fill those middle seats. Ah. You can move passengers. Ah. so, well, I mean, I've seen video from these airports and they're just empty. And I'm like, why can't it be like this when we're traveling? I mean, um, and, you know, I mean, they've got to figure this out, right? We are, uh, you know, in this place for want of paper products, right? These masks, um, 
you know, and some plastic products and the swab. I mean, we're not, how are we going to get anywhere if people aren't wearing masks in airports? Um, it's going to be tough. How- you have to put on a mask in the airport. You have to. And, have to, and definitely, I'm, I'm 100% in support of the fact that it is a requirement now by all the airlines for passengers mm-hmm. to wear a mask in the flight. And what's interesting to me is uh, my question is obviously dumb question on my part. Where are the masks coming from? Right. I mean, I just experimented when we were about to have Jared on, you know, uh, from Jared Moskowitz in the state of Florida and buying one of these masks on eBay and it was $31. Right. So, you know, um, where are the masks exactly coming from again? I mean, when's the, I haven't seen any masks at our lo- lo- local drugstore. Yeah, 3M is supposedly ramping up its production abilities. So I don't know where it comes from either. Look, I got to say thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really good, man. We should do this every day because I think people would enjoy just being a fly on the wall listening to the conversation that you and I have and understanding, you know, number one, your breadth of knowledge, and number two, your insight as to what we need to do as a nation. So thank you. There you go. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Make sure you join us on the next Let's Be Blog with Montana. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.